Hey, hey. I'm so glad I get to uh, do this uh, this week. Seriously, two, two summers ago, I was at uh, Gull Lake, and you speak, you know, in the general session six or seven times or something like that. I have a more profound memory of this time hanging out with the staff and just uh, bleeding on the staff uh, a little bit than uh, all the other sessions, which aren't that memorable. And so I, when Matt uh, knew I was coming this week and he said, uh, would, you, would you be willing to spend some time with our staff? I just jumped at it. And uh, the topic that he asked me to speak on is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, it's just the power of slow and steady faithfulness and the challenge of slow and steady faithfulness, because it's really, it's really hard. Uh, first thing, though, I'm here with my uh, son, one of my sons, and his wife, Katya. They have three kids in our kids program. Mia, who is like two and a half and a fireball, and uh, Preston and Cooper. So those of you that invest in the kids here, just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is like a highlight, highlight of our, of our summer. And so uh, I want to begin by talking about something called the Tabitha Factor. And uh, Tabitha is a character in the Bible. I think she is one of the most extraordinary lives that we find in our Bible. And we know where she is geographically. There's a map here that shows Joppa over on the coast in relationship to Jerusalem. Uh, Tabitha, she goes by another name, Dorcas, which was her Greek name. And so uh, Tabitha, she lives in Joppa. And we read these words in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple, so she's a Jesus follower. She's connected to the Jesus group, and her name's Tabitha. Now, in in Greek, uh, her name is Dorcas, and she is always doing good and helping the poor. I just want you to know that word always. She is always doing good and helping the poor, meaning it's not just acts of kindness. It seems to be a lifestyle of kindness. She's always doing good and helping the poor. Now, tragedy strikes this Jesus community in Joppa because Tabitha gets sick. I mean, really sick. And we read in the next verse, about that time she became sick and she dies. Her body's washed and placed upstairs in an upstairs room. Now, this, this is a tragedy. This is a crisis for this community of believers. And Peter, Jesus' disciple, is not far away. They send for Peter. Peter comes to Joppa and he's going up the stairs to the room where Tabitha is kind of laid out in preparation for burial, and I think he can hear the grief before he sees it. And when he arrives in that room upstairs, it's like a, a widow's convention, all right? Check out the next verse. It says, all the widows stood around him crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, Tabitha, made while she was still with them. And just imagine this scene here. Uh, widows walk up to him and say, she made this for me. And maybe it was the clothes that she was wearing. She made this for me. All the widows stood around him crying. They're just weeping. And they're showing him the clothes that Tabitha made for, uh, for them. Now, it's different now than it was back then. I mean, first century Near Eastern culture, uh, very few uh, possibilities for women vocationally. And if you lost your husband... And if you didn't have any adult sons like to take care of you, things could get really, really hard, really, really fast. And so it's widows, people who lost their husbands, apparently no adult son to take care of them, and Tabitha steps in and is making clothes for these women. So what, what, does, what does clothing mean if you're a widow in the city of Joppa? Well, just functionally 
clothing means warmth. Uh, you're on the Mediterranean coast. The wind, the winter winds can come whipping off the Mediterranean coast. When Tabitha makes you a cloak or a robe or a garment, functionally it means, it means warmth. But there's more to clothes than just the functionality of, of warmth. Uh, clothing can mean dignity. <laughs> If you're a widow and you're broke and you're in some ragged robe and Tabitha makes something for you and it's new, it lifts your spirits. You feel more dignified because you're wearing something that isn't in pieces. And so it's warmth and it's uh, dignity, but I think it's also hope. Because if you lose your husband, you have no adult son to take care of you or no uncle or something like that, you can feel all alone in the world. And when Tabitha steps in and shows her kindness, it's like you feel God's kindness through her kindness. It's like you feel God's goodness through Tabitha's goodness. It's like you feel God's mercy through Tabitha's mercy. You feel God's care through Tabitha's care. And... uh, when Tabitha makes you something, it's as if the Father is whispering, I see you. I haven't forgotten you. And so clothing that Tabitha makes, it's uh, warmth, it's dignity, and it's hope. This is an extraordinary life, and this is an extraordinary loss to this community of followers question. What did Tabitha spend her days doing functionally? It doesn't say she bought the clothes. It says Tabitha made the clothes. Walk by Tabitha's door and look in one day and see her in her house, you probably see her sewing, uh, weaving, however you would make clothes back in the day. Does that sound interesting to you? That doesn't sound interesting to me. That Tabitha spends day after day after day after day sewing. See, this is the Tabitha factor, you ready? The tap of the factor is that most often we do not live extraordinary lives by finding something extraordinary to do. We live extraordinary lives by finding something ordinary to do, but we do it with extraordinary consistency. Most of the time, we do not live an extraordinary life by finding this extraordinary thing. We would live an extraordinary life by finding an ordinary thing, but doing it with incredible faithfulness, doing it again and again and again and again. And the beauty of this is that it means greatness is accessible. And living extraordinarily is accessible because you don't have to be extraordinarily gifted. You just have to be extraordinarily consistent. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be extraordinarily faithful. So above Tabitha's door, it's like there's a sign that reads, and then she did it again. And then she did it again. And then she did it again. <laughs> and then she did it again. The importance of this, um, and I, I, have, I have to impress this on particularly my younger friends. So many of my younger friends desire to live great lives. But we think that in order to live a great life, I have to find something great to do. Uh, I have to wait for this moment when I I get discovered. I have to wait for this moment when I find my absolute unique contribution to the world. And as I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for this great opportunity, 
All of these good opportunities go marching by in a parade and I ignore them because they're just not great enough. Most of the time when someone arrives at greatness, they do not arrive at greatness by doing something great. They arrive at greatness through a lengthy corridor of goodness. They latched onto something good and they repeated it over and over and over and over and over in humble, faithful servanthood and over a course of decades. You look back and say, that's one of the most powerful lives I've ever seen. And it wasn't extraordinary gifting, it was just extraordinary consistency. So I want you to say two words with me. Uh, First word I want you to say is just yawn, but kind of like yawn like you mean it, ready? Yawn. Okay, the second word I want you to say is I want you to say the word wow. Ready? Wow. Okay, so let's go back to the previous slide. One slide back. Okay, uh, woman sews in her family room. Ready? Yawn. A flock of widows show up at a funeral to honor a woman for a lifetime of service. Ready? Next word. And then this quote right here that I love, the only difference between yawn and wow is time and repetition. The only difference between yawn and wow is enough time and enough repetition. So uh, let me illustrate this with something. This guy here, this picture, the guy in this far head and back, his name's Charles Mooley. Uh, Charles Mooley does ministry in Kenya, Africa, called Mooley Children's Family. He was a street kid in Africa, became an entrepreneur, got a lot of money, became fairly wealthy, and ended up uh, starting taking in street kids into his house, into his family, like to be with his kids. And then it grew and grew and grew and grew. And at this point, they've taken in literally thousands of kids, in order, mostly orphans, in order to provide uh, clothing, food, uh, and education. So that's, that's Charles Mooley. Charles is one of my heroes. So uh, a few years back, a uh, guy in my church at Ada Bible Church in Garden Rapids, a guy in my church died. His name was Bill. And some representatives from Charles Mooley Children's Family, they were in town, and this guy comes up to me and says, hey, that guy Bill from your church, he wrote us a $70 check. I'm going, okay, I will alert the media. You know, $70 check. He said, but, but that was 11 years ago. And he wrote a $70 check every month to us. My friends, do the math, pull out a calculator, 70 times 12, 12 months a year, times 11 years. We're talking 10 grand that he gave to this ministry. So let's do the uh, yawn and wow thing. Uh, yawn first. A man writes a $70 check. It's pizza money. Well, depending on where you buy your pizza, right? Uh, but you always know, say 70 bucks. You know, it's a couple bucks a day. Uh, man writes a $70 check. Yawn. Uh, man gives over $10,000 to an orphanage. Wow. Ready? Well, the only difference between yawn and wow was time and repetition. The only difference between yawn and wow was time and repetition. Uh, my buddy Phil, uh, we, we bike together. He's better than I am. He's faster than I am. He's a little bit younger than I am. He's an eye doctor. Uh, people come into his office. He's um, part of a practice. But people love my buddy Phil as you know, giving the eye exam, refitting glasses, that, that type of thing. If you have glasses or contacts, you've been through this drill you know, a, a, a bunch of time, check your prescription, check your site, has it changed, what, what is new? And so uh, Phil is a great, great, uh, what is it, optometrist? A great opt- optometrist, uh, highly coveted optometrist. People, uh, he moved out of the area for a while, moved to Colorado for a while. Oh, I can't believe it. I've got to find someone new. <laughs> There's this grief that Phil was moving away. Uh, Phil sees 
about 50 patients a day. His gift is quick engagement in a 15-minute interaction. Greeting the person by name, remembering events about their family, having a conversation with them, doing the thing and getting them out the door, and the next person getting up for that next conversation and getting up for that next conversation. We're talking about about 50 patients a day, uh, 250 patients a week. Multiply by about 20 years, and he has done an optometrist for over 20 years. We're talking a quarter of a million 15-minute conversations. And Phil is great at what he does. Unfortunately, it involves doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. The only difference between yawn, I'm going to walk in as a patient, and wow, quarter of a million people served our community is time and repetition. So um, some years back, I wrote this book called uh, Dream Big, Think Small. And the think small part is just the Tabitha Factor type thing. Find something to do that's common and ordinary, but throw yourself at it and just keep showing up with faithful consistency. That's the think small part. But I quote this uh, French priest from the 1700s. His name is Francois Fenelon. And I love this Fenelon quote where Fenelon goes, uh, uh, great acts of virtue are rare because they are seldom called for. What he's talking about there is racing into a burning building and pulling someone to safety. Unfortunately, you aren't going to have that opportunity every Thursday afternoon. It's just, it's just, you're biking around a lake, you see two kids out in the water, one of them looks like they're flailing and struggling, you ditch your bike, you swim out, you get this little kid and pull them to safety. This is not something you can put on your calendar for next Wednesday to do. And that's what he means by that. Great acts of virtue are rare because they're just so seldom called for. And what does he say next? To do small things that are right continually without being noticed is much more important. And then I love this next quote from Fenelon. He goes, faithfulness in the little things better proves your true love for God. It is the slow plodding path rather than the passing fit of enthusiasm that matters. The slow plodding path. Faithfulness in the little things better proves your love for God. It is a slow plodding path rather than the passing fit of enthusiasm that matters. Um... I've pastored the same church for 39 years. I turned 60 this year. Chris and I started when we were 21. We got married between our third and fourth year of college, got married in June. This little failed church plant, Ada Bible Church, 20, 25 people, they asked us to come and speak. Then a month later, they said, can you come back and fill in for two weekends? And I remember, I was about to start my senior year in college. And then, uh, and then they said, would you be willing to fill in until we find a real pastor? They're still looking. Uh, and so 39 years in the same place. So many of my weeks are like so many other weeks. I study Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the next week I study Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the next week I study Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mornings and appointments in the afternoon. What are you doing next Tuesday? I'm studying because that's what I do on Tuesday morning. Can we meet for breakfast? No, I can meet you for coffee at three in the afternoon, four in the afternoon, but mornings are for study. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then all day Saturday because I speak on Saturday night. I can just say that, that this is my uh, orbit with nauseating repetition. And say, do you find studying interesting? And there are times when I go, I don't, I'm not sure that that matters. It's highly effective. 
and it's shaping people's lives and it's molding people's lives. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be interesting to be good. And anything you do for long enough is going to cease to be that interesting. Let me put it this way. Uh, if everything has to be new and interesting all the time, we will miss out on our greatest opportunity for impact and influence. Do interesting stuff around the edges. Go places, see things, do things around the edges. But at the core, there should probably be this Tabitha factor thing where we just keep going back, just keep going back, and just keep going back. And because we're part of a culture that is allergic to boredom and addicted to immediacy, most of us will miss out on lives of high impact because we just get bored and we move on to the next ministry, we move on to the next church, we move on in some cases to the next husband or the next wife. We're just always looking for the next thing. And so what I wanna challenge you to is do really interesting things around the edges of your life, but at the core there should just be this, and then she did it again, and then she did it again, and then she did it again, and then she did it again. So in closing, Week seven at Gold Lake Ministries. <laughs> and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again. How many times have I done that cheer? How many times have I stood out in front of the family center acting like I'm hyper excited when I'm wilting under this 90 degree sun, welcoming families as they come in? And, and yet it helps make Gold Lake a magical place. It's not an extraordinary thing. It's the ordinary things that we just do over and over and over that are so incredibly life-giving in the lives of others. So uh, that's all I have to say today, but I get to pray for you as you embark on your day. All right? Gracious God, I just want to say thanks. I just want to thank you for every man and woman who is here, who has devoted their summer or a part of their summer to serving you through serving others. Thank you, thank you, thank you for their lives. And now at week seven, I ask you to give them stamina. I ask you to give them strength. I ask that you would give them endurance. I ask that you would give them eyes that are open to see the needs of the people around them. And we ask this in your name because you saw us and moved toward us. We ask this in the name of Jesus who gave himself for us. Amen.